Coming up on This Week in Games, Nintendo cleans up at the Dice Awards, Rovio's market cap gets sliced in half, and Rhode Island wants to tax M-rated games. Stay tuned, This Week in Games. Hey everyone, welcome to This Week in I'm Sick. No, wait, This Week in Games. You may notice my voice uh, sounds a little deeper. I didn't just finish puberty. Um, I'm pretty, pretty sick, which is why we're doing a special Monday edition because I was too sick yesterday to record this. So bear with me and let's get through the week. So this week was a pretty slow week, but uh, we had one major event, the 21st Dice Awards. I didn't even know it was the 21st, but that's pretty impressive. I guess that puts the awards to starting in 1997. So the Dice Awards are the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences Awards. Um, Basically, they're like, you know, one of the three, maybe two big uh, video game awards. The others being the GDC Awards and, I don't know, whatever commercialized awards are super popular, hosted by uh, Jeff Keirley these years. Um, Let's start off. So Nintendo dominates the awards, which is pretty interesting. So let's go through it. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild takes home Game of the Year, Outstanding Achievement in Game Direction, Outstanding Achievement in Game Design, and Adventure Game of the Year. Along with that, Nintendo takes home five other awards. So that's pretty strange because generally at these award shows, Nintendo rarely cleans up and less cleans up in this fashion, especially with the Zelda game. Um, I don't know. So the Dice Awards are voted on a quote-unquote secret ballot, ballot by industry experts and Academy members. And that means they're definitely not swayed by any investment or advertising Nintendo. Oh, wait, no, they probably were swayed by investment and advertising and presence by Nintendo. Or, you know, maybe this was just a very weird year where nothing came out. But I don't think that's true. Look no further than uh, Mario Kart 8 for the Switch winning racing game of the year, which is uh, pretty hilarious because that game is three years old. And it was just a re-release on the Switch. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, in all seriousness, we probably shouldn't take these awards very seriously. I mean, they're up there with, like, GameStop, Game game Reviews, IGN Reviews, everything else. And, frankly, I don't think we have a good grasp on what is quality game design versus quality game direction versus what makes a great adventure game and so on and so on so really just don't take these awards serious and the game you like wins an award then pat yourself on the back for being on the winning team and if game you don't like wins an award then just ignore it because frankly we don't even know what goes on behind the scenes with voting, and there's not even a clear criteria for each subject. So, good for Nintendo, I guess. Um, And we'll just have to see what happens at GDC this year. So, our next big story of the week, Rhode Island wants to fund mental health and counseling resources. 
That's pretty good. Good job, Rhode Island. You know, I really like it when states step up and identify a pro. Wait, wait, how are they going to pay for that? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Tax M rated games. Okay. <laughs> so Rhode Island wants to increase its funding for mental health and counseling resources by taxing all M rated games sold in the state. This was proposed by Representative Robert Nardolillo the third and he introduced the legislation this week this is absolutely ridiculous and i'd say it's on par with funding you know elementary school education by taxing fast food the two things have nothing to do with each other and i think it's been proven time and time again by psychological studies that violent and m-rated video games have no effect on the state of someone's mental health. The mental health is such a complex thing that you have to go into uh, family situations, education, the environment someone's around, just the all-around general health of someone. So by taxing M-rated games as your scapegoat and then putting that towards mental health, I mean, it's just insulting to our industry. But someone's going to fund mental health. I guess it's up to us because it's not like the state's going to step up without it. So I don't know if you're in Rhode Island, start buying those M-rated games now. (coughs) There's a cough from being sick. All right, let's get through this business news of the week. Blizzard's using in-game Overwatch rewards to incentivize watching the Overwatch League. (coughs) This is hilarious. So players that use a cheer in chat, now, cheer is a emoji that actually costs real U.S. dollars or whatever currency used to purchase them. Players who use a cheer in chat will be entered for a chance to win rare Overwatch gear. So if you use a cheer during any Overwatch League match, you're entered for a chance to win rare Overwatch gear. That's pretty despicable, if you ask me. Honestly, that's even closer to gambling than loot boxes, because you're paying real money for something for like a raffle to enter to win rare gear. Furthermore, viewers that stay and watch the whole match will earn Overwatch tokens, which I believe is their premium currency. To me, on the outside, I don't watch the Overwatch League, and I know the first week had huge numbers, but when I see stuff like this going through, I have to imagine that Blizzard is maybe getting desperate, or maybe the Overwatch League numbers didn't sustain like they expected. Maybe people aren't uh, retaining their Overwatch viewing habits, and now they're getting desperate. This is like already pulling out the big guns. If you're already at this point, and what are we in, like week three of the Overwatch League? If you're already at this point, that's not a good sign. And I'd have to imagine this goes back to what we covered like a month ago, which is the insane cost of actually creating an Overwatch team and the very little revenue sharing that Blizzard was offering these teams. So I think it was, I don't know, I'm just going to pull this off the top of my head. I think it was $10 million to start an Overwatch team. And then you wouldn't get revenue share (coughs) from Blizzard um, (coughs) in the forms of ticket sales. Um, (coughs) I believe you, maybe it was ticket sales. I don't remember, but... 
it Blizzard's pulling the guns out with already borderline real money gambling on viewership and giving out premium currency for people to stay and watch the whole match. I mean, just imagine if the NFL got desperate and was like, all right, everyone who watches a game on CBS or ESPN or whatever, text blah, 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 and it's going to be a $5 texting charge, but text blah, blah, blah for a chance to win a jersey. And then if you stay and watch the whole game, we'll mail you a pair of socks by the team. Like, think about how desperate that sounds. So I guess we'll see how the Overwatch League um, shakes out. I'm sure their numbers will jump up and so and so with the playoffs. But I guess time will tell after the first season's done when they crown a champion and so on. And then how many teams actually stay with that and how many fight back on the cost of funding an Overwatch team. Um, I guess we'll see. So next up, Rovio stock gets cut in half. This is a pretty interesting story. So the profits and sales forecasts were much lower than investors wanted to hear. Investors wanted to see... uh, Profits of around 14%, and Rovio was reporting um, much lower than that, probably 4% lower than that. And that was enough for all the investors to just pull out their money in droves from the company. And this is pretty interesting. There was such a like, uh, mass migration of investors from Rovio that their stock price actually got cut in half. And I can't blame them. So if you look at Rovio, they had the mega hit Angry Birds back in the day. And if you recall, Angry Birds had a free version and a $1 paid version. And this is before people knew, well, people knew, but this is before microtransactions dominate the industry. And it's pretty interesting to see Angry Birds never make the jump from that to microtransactions. And Rovio never taking the Angry Birds brand and sustaining it and then leveraging it, it, the brand, leveraging that, um, the users in that game to other games that do have microtransactions so they can make big money. Because Angry Birds alone, although it's making ad money, it's not making that one to three million dollars a day money that you really think it would be thinking of how popular the brand was maybe three to five years ago. So, pretty interesting. Um, I can't see Rovio, unless they develop a new IP, um, Angry Birds at this point, it had a jump up with a, a jump up in popularity with the film release because then it wrote off the advertising from the film, but the film didn't do too well. And I, unless they develop a new mega hit IP, uh, Rovio is probably going to keep declining, maybe even get purchased out. And it's pretty interesting because it's one of the first, like, kind of titans of the mobile game industry failing to follow up its success. I know in Japan right now, there's lots of articles on Puzzles and Dragons kind of in the same situation where they're doubling down on side games and anime and other things, gung-ho is, in attempts to kind of, like, keep Puzzles and Dragons alive. Because right now, it's number two or three, depending on the week, in Japan and it's just further declining. So I think it's a common problem in the mobile game industry. These companies have mega hits, and then they're never able to follow them up. And when you have that much cash flow from your mega hit, and you you should be aware of 
your chances of following up that hit with something else and probably be looking for acquisition because maybe what got you to the dance is no longer available as in like the genre or the opportunity. And so you should probably look at acquiring other companies who are already, you know, dominating their category instead of developing the next mega hit in-house. Pretty much Supercell and EA, but with the help of IPs, are developing mega hit after mega hit after mega... Oh, and King. Sorry, King. Developing mega hit after mega hit after mega hit in-house. And uh, a lot of companies really should look at acquisition for opportunities and then use their existing fan base and so on and so on. So... Interesting that Rovio's taken such a big hit. Um, I don't expect them to bounce back, but I could be wrong. So let's keep going. Smite's eSport is now exclusive to Microsoft's Mixer. Who knows what Microsoft's Mixer is, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can all guess it. Microsoft wants to throw its hat in the compete with Twitch pool, which, once again, is just like lighting money on fire. And... You know, their acquisition was to acquire Smite. Now, Smite is kind of a League of Legends competitor in that MOBA space, but the problem is is Smite gets decent numbers on Twitch, but I wonder like what the upside of this is for Hi-Rez Studio. So Smite's already declining, um, regardless of what they say. I don't know anyone personally, who still plays Smite at all. So they're already declining, and their answer was to take an exclusivity deal with Microsoft, who's going to get absolutely no one but maybe hardcore Smite players on their Microsoft Mixer network. And so this is kind of just a lose-lose situation. Microsoft has a streaming platform that no one's using. They pay a lot of money to a game that no one's really watching, but hardcore fans of that game and that game has a declining fan base. Hi-Rez then gets buried into Microsoft Mixer instead of being on the front page of Twitch. And it's kind of lose-lose for everyone. So, I don't know. I don't see the upside in this. But I guess maybe they thought this was the best they could get. Maybe Microsoft threw a giant bag of money at them. Maybe Microsoft thinks Smite fans are going to drive their platform. Who knows? So next, in this week in random news, Epic Games partners with Mel.ru to fund indie games. Now, Mel.ru is a giant kind of tech conglomerate from Russia, and Epic Games is headquarters in North Carolina, and both of them want to fund indie games together. This is random beyond random, and... (laughs) Let's see, Mel.ru's gaming ventures will provide analytics, tools, and marketing, and other services, and Epic Games will provide the game engine to indie games. Ugh, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know. First of all, Epic Games isn't really the indie game, darling. It's more for mid-level or AAA games. Indie games generally tend to kind of gravitate towards Unity, Maybe even Game Maker or RPG Maker or something very easy, 2D friendly. Whereas Epic Games is, you know, seen in the industry as a more harder to develop in, but higher quality game engine than Unity. Um, Mel.ru 
I don't want to throw accusations around, but it is a Russian giant conglomerate that's pretty much only used by people in Russia. <laughs> so you can see where I'm going with this. It's a very shady deal. I don't understand what's going on, but we'll see who they snag to be their kind of indie darling, and we'll see how much press and how much uh, attention they get outside of Russia, but very weird. It would. It's basically like, I don't know, if, let's just pick a, if like India had a game engine that was made in India and Google partnered with an Indian game engine company and was like, hey, nobody uses this game engine. Or, gosh, I can't even think of a thing. What's something that only people in America... Maybe Snap, right? So let's say Snap Inc. partners with an Indian game engine and is like, we're going to fund indie games. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? Like, first of all, why is Snap Inc. funding indie games? And why would you choose an in Indian game engine company? The cross-section of people don't even overlap. What's going on? So we'll just see where that goes. Next, Vision Esports raised $38 million in funding. That includes several top athletes. Now, they listed a bunch of athletes like NBA players and so on and so on. I'm not going to read them out. I'm going to pretend like I know who's in the NBA. Um, apparently, according to the report, Esports is one of the highest growth and growth potential in all of entertainment and media, which is why everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. The problem with everyone funding these esports companies is in esports, IP owners hold all the power. So while Blizzard could <coughs> team up with Vision Esports, Blizzard could also just run their esports organization themselves. So what's there for a kind of esports organization or esports company that doesn't actually possess the ip to run esports events or tournaments or leagues now they could fund teams at this point but i've yet to see of an esports team that consistently pulls in large profits especially at the tune of 38 million in funding so i don't know <coughs> sorry <clears throat> normally when there's a gold rush like this like we've been seeing with esports companies there's like one or two teams or one or two leagues that people can point to and say, they're making tons of money. We can be just like them or better and make tons of money. Like, And then you have these Me Too companies pop up. The problem is, is outside of like maybe Blizzard's individual IP leagues, uh, League of Legends leagues, Dota 2 leagues, Counter-Strike leagues, so basically Valve Games, Riot, Blizzard, um, I guess now PUBG, outside of like IP owners running their own leagues, I don't see anyone making that much money off of this esports scenes. And frankly, even those leagues are questionable with how much money they make. Maybe Riot and Dota 2 and Counter-Strike being the, you know, highest revenue drivers. But yeah, I don't, I don't understand this gold rush to esports. Especially coming from fighting game communities, you know, we're barely <coughs> we're barely able to fill one arena one year for Evo. So I don't really I don't know. I don't know what the gold rush is, but I guess we'll see. 
um, maybe really good PowerPoints on how esports is going to the up and to the right. <laughs> you know, oh, esports are going to take over regular sports. No one's going to watch basketball. Everyone's going to watch NBA 2K. You know, X or Y. Anyway, so rounding out business news, we have Small Giant Games raises $41 million in funding. So this is pretty interesting. They raised $41 million in funding after they already released their first game. So 10 months ago, they released Empires and Puzzles. And Empires and Puzzles reportedly made about $33 million in revenue. That's, I mean, that's decent for 10 months, um, but not a lot. And then... I checked out Empires and Puzzles, and it's a very, very bare-bones, uninspired Puzzles and Dragons clone. And it's crazy that they were able to raise $41 million after releasing that game. And that game, frankly, not killing it. Let's see, $33 million. Let's just cut it to $30 million. So that's, what, $1 million, $3 million a month? I'm sick, so my math's a bit off. Three million a month, and then divide that by four. So we're looking at what seven hundred and fifty thousand a week. That's that's pretty good. Um, not a ton, and especially for a game that clearly, you know, with all these puzzles and dragons derivatives, you have to really conquer that small market share, where it's not a large market share of people who play these puzzles and dragons type match threes and you really have to acquire like you know x percent of these wells who drive revenue in that market share and if you're already 10 months out of the gate and your revenue is 33 million and you're making 750,000 a week that's not a good sign because likely that number is just going to keep going down because i looked at the game the game has nothing unique going for it the graphics are very uninspired and generic the gameplay is slightly different than Puzzles and Dragons, so instead of the drag match where you can clear the whole board, um, you match as much as you can within a time limit while a bar goes down, sorry, and uh, then you move on, and then the monster attacks, and then you go back and forth, and so on and so on. The problem is, is even their mechanical difference from Puzzles and Dragons isn't even as interesting, in my opinion. And the ceiling cap on that is much lower than the drag match of Puzzles and Dragons. So, yeah, I don't know who's funding these companies. It's, uh, to me, unless investors, they have some game under wraps that's going to kill it. And Empires and Puzzles was kind of just a dry run with a generic game that they knew would make some amount of revenue so they could see how they handled scaling and users. Um... Yeah, I don't know how these companies get $41 million in funding, but good job to you guys. Next up, Sledgehammer Games. The founders of Sledgehammer leave the Call of Duty team for executive roles at Activision. So Sledgehammer Games founders Michael Condre and Glenn Schofield will be leaving the studio for quote-unquote executive duties. So... When something just says, quote-unquote, executive duties, and they don't give executive titles, that means Sledgehammer Games founders are getting paid out, and they're getting cushy executive jobs um, within Activision. So good on them. Good job. Uh, Sledgehammer Games, I believe, was the lead on Call of Duty Advanced Warfare and the recent Call of Duty World War II. 
So maybe Call of Duty World War II being the number one selling game in the world in 2017. Um, you know, with that, maybe they had some deal with Activision. Activision was like, hey, you did it. Number one selling game. Now it's time for your cushy exec job. Or I'm sorry, quote unquote, executive duties role. So good job, guys. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Finally, some bad news. CI Studios declares it cuts a significant number of its staff members. So CI Studios is a Polish firm. Um, they make PC games on Steam mainly. They downsize a, even amidst their profitable 2017. So <clears throat> in 2017, they released a game called Sniper Ghost Warrior 3, which is an amazing title. I think that shows a real grasp on poetry, if you ask me. And, and Sniper Ghost Warrior 3 sold over a million copies, which is higher than expected. <coughs> and uh, the company still decided to cut a significant number of staff members. Always sad to hear. I guess maybe they're going a new direction or they're trying to figure out what to do next. So hopefully you guys bounce back and we can get something like, you know, Heavy Machine Gun warrior titan <laughs> you know 23 who knows i couldn't think of anything that's the best i can do guys i'm sick i'm sorry so let's finish up with this week in my gaming and i'm not going to call out games i played this week but i'm going to call out the fighting game scene specifically fighting game community and winter brawl 12 so winter brawl is a big fighting game tournament lots of fighting games and it was just great to see Dragon Ball Fighter Z played at a very high level with people from all over America and a few from all over the world. Um, played at a high level and seeing how the meta evolves in that game. And I really expect this to be the game, this year's Evolution 2018. For those of you who don't know, Evolution 2018 <coughs> is the biggest fighting game tournament in the world held in Las Vegas. It's normally in July. I think this year it might be earlier. It might be June. Um, and they have a lineup, I think, of nine games this year. And it'll be interesting to see who gets the top spot, uh, Street Fighter V or Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I didn't look over the entrance numbers, um, but I have to imagine Dragon Ball Fighter Z being the newest kid on the block and the most bought fighting game of recent months. And probably the most streamed fighting game in a while. It may get the top spot at Evo. The top spot being the last game, the last top eight finals played on Sunday of the 380-day tournament. We'll cover Evo more as we get closer. But it's great to see um, high-level meta in that game evolve. It was very clunky because it's a 3v3 fighter with Dragon Ball Z characters. So it was very clunky at first watching tournaments, but now people really seem to start figuring out teams, figuring out synergies, figuring out counters to the current meta, so I'm curious to see the game evolve from here, and I'm really excited for the fighting game community with both Dragon Ball Fighter Z and Street Fighter V Season 3, so let's march towards Evo, guys. All right, that's it for this week in games. I'm sorry for all the coughing, the sickness, the lateness of this week's episode and game industry please give me more news because this week was a pretty slow week all right guys that's that's it i'm Merritt mcconnell signing off i'll see you guys next week
Bye.